You're listening to Exceptions Welcome, the podcast for programming bootcamp graduates and other new or early career software developers. We're your hosts, Ben Wilhelm and Colin Miller. We're a couple of self-taught developers with 25 years of experience between us, and we met as bootcamp instructors. Uh, we thought there was more to be said after the graduation day. Today we're talking to Carl Hughes about how to build a resilient career as a software developer. Um, yeah, Colin and I were just kind of talking about like where, what sort of, what is the the foothold uh, we're thinking about here? Because like, yeah, um, we've been doing a, a, a number of episodes recently on sort of getting your first job um, and like what your first job looks like. And I think what's intriguing to me about a lot of the stuff that you've written and uh, stuff that you've linked me to and um just generally sort of your career path is like you talk a lot about the resilient career. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so a lot of our listeners will be just starting their first job in this career mm-hmm. as, as software engineers and may have an idea of sort of what the straight and narrow is for that career, where they're headed, what they're going to do. They might think, you know, uh, they probably have a lot of ideas or maybe they have no ideas. They, have, they don't know what the future holds or have any, any vision of like how, how a career unfolds over a couple of decades in this industry. Um, and I really like sort of your take on it, which seems to, I'm, I'm going to paraphrase a lot of the things that you've written uh, and you tell me if I'm doing it, doing them justice, but seems to be to collect a number of skills and do, do things that interest you. <laughs> yeah. I love that. that. That's a really concise way to put it. <laughs> I got to admit then. Uh, yeah. So totally agree. So here's the problem with the way a lot of people approach a career in engineering. Um, they get out of a boot camp and maybe they don't, or, or college, and they maybe don't know exactly what they want to do. And that's fine. A lot of people don't. But instead of figuring out, like trying out several things in a like disciplined way to figure out what it is they want to do, what they like, what resonates with them. They just sit in a job. They make okay money. Three years later, they move on to another job. They make slightly better money. And they just, they chase like the next dollar raise. That is by far the least fulfilling way to grow a career. And I I mean, now maybe there's a small subset of people that really do like making more money is like a game to them and that's what they want to do. But you shouldn't work in engineering. You should go work in finance because you'll make a shitload more money. So like, it's stupid to be in engineering and think that, I'm doing this just for the money. Now, money is great. Like there's a great baseline pay in our field, which is awesome. Um, But if you're not chasing something creative and interesting and challenging to you, then you're just going to be like completely unsatisfied in every role you take. So I think a lot of people, bootcamp grads, maybe they don't have the confidence when they first get out of bootcamp, which again, totally understand. Um, And so they just think, well, I'll just take whatever job people hand to me and I'll move on to the next thing and the next thing. But like, you got to be, you got to have some purpose, you know, like you got to move forward towards a goal. And like, so a couple things that, that I always tell people is like uh, read stories of people's real career paths who are successful. And they're almost always these weird meandering things. Um, there's the guy who created Dilbert who writes a couple books, um, Scott Adams. And one of my favorites is how to fail at everything and still win big. And in it, he talks about this intersection of skills. Um, so he's a cartoonist, right? But he didn't start off that way. He was working in business at banks and all every night he would go home and he'd draw his Dilbert comics. And he did that for years. He was actually moonlighting Dilbert like up through the nineties. Um, and it was like a very popular comic, but like it was what, what he kind of realized about himself was that he was this unique mix of 
business, tech, and drawing skills that very few people had and put in practice. And once you realize that and you started like doubling down on that and just being like, I'm the guy who does that, like he got started getting paid to speak at, at different gigs and um, kind of made a living off of the comics eventually. And so anyway, I think those kinds of stories are super interesting to me because it's these people chasing these really weird combinations of skills. I love that. I actually think that um, in some ways, a, a bootcamp grad often has a leg up in terms of having already done something different um, in their uh, for a career, absolutely, um, and yep. and have and is now deciding to collect engineering as um, as another skill. And so I've seen a number of a, num a number of grads sort of go off and find jobs that are like. Oh, of course, of course, that's where you ended up, and you, you can kind of see that they are they're they're definitely have their foot in something fulfilling already from day one. I have some strong opinions about where boot camp grads come from and the importance of that when they think about what they take as their career path. So I think all too often when I, I so I talk with a lot of boot camp grads, and I know y'all both have been way more involved than I, but I, I used to do a lot of guest speaking at boot camps and and mock interviews. And so I've gotten to know mm -hmm. a lot of them. And one thing I noticed is a lot of times they sort of put themselves out there as, well, I just want any job that I can find. And I totally mm -hmm. understand the, the, the fear, the insecurity, the reason that people do that. But the ones that end up getting really interesting, good jobs, like you kind of hinted at there, Ben, are the ones who pursue one really specific, like narrow thing for a while. And they just say, okay, I'm going to spend the next three to six months trying to get a job doing this one really specific thing or, or what have you. And they end up finding something, even if it's not that exact dream job, they find something tangential to it that gets them, you know, one step closer to that. So being intentional is super important. And fortunately, bootcamp grads often come with enough I'll call it like life experience, maybe that they kind of know what they do and don't like about a career. And they can kind of uh -huh. like direct themselves a little better. Whereas a new college grad, they have no freaking idea. I mean, my first internship, I, I remember having no idea what it was really going to be like in the real world. So use that career experience, but also use sort of the industries you've already got experience in, or maybe it's some of the like um, life experience you have that is unique to you that not any college grad can replicate. Do you have any like uh, examples of like what those are there like specific technologies, specific industries that engineering is, is in support of, or like specific ways of self-improvement after graduating? So uh, you're, you're asking about like ways to kind of uh, drive yourself towards a specific career path, or you're asking about what those career paths are? Yeah, I'm kind of just, uh, or if there are any examples, I'm having a hard time like getting like an exact handle on like what that 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 would look like or maybe thinking if i'm listening to to mm. this what question do i ask myself to know am i doing that if that sounds good but i don't quite have like a handle for like uh what exactly should i be doing right right yeah so a, a lot of <laughs> there's a mix of i've met so many different backgrounds uh from boot camps um it's, it's hard to generalize but maybe a couple stories would be helpful so for example um a woman i hired at, at my last job she had a background in women's studies uh and she was super into social justice and social good organizations so organizations that were doing po something positive in in the world 
So she kind of narrowed during her job search, she narrowed herself down to like five or 10 companies in Chicago. I mean, the, the list was ridiculously small, whereas most bootcamp grads are applying to hundreds and hundreds of jobs. She picked those five. She went and like found the, the founders. She found the hiring managers, the like me, the CTO. She looked at all their blog posts, all their personal social media, just like stalked them to figure out what it is that you know, why this company hires and what they're looking for. Um, and really did a good job of like coming into the, when, when, you know, she applied and, and we had the interview, like she had so many really deep, good questions. Like she clearly had looked into what we do, but also what I did. Um, and was like extremely, uh, clearly passionate about what we were doing. And so like, that is so hard to replicate. And like, I can teach technical skills. Like I, I'm not afraid of that, but I, I can't teach you to care about things. And so showing that you have that care, that initiative is so powerful. Now it doesn't get you every job, but I've gotten jobs that exact way too. So to me that resonates, um, you know, there's probably a million different paths out there, but what's worked for me is narrowing really, really tightly. And then also just chasing specific roles and jobs uh, with specific companies rather than just the sort of blanket interview. Colin and I were, were just talking a little bit about how, you know, that software development is huge. It's, a, you can, you know, you can meander through all sorts of different disciplines in software development, even within web development, you know, yep. there's a, many different stacks and paradigms and things you can do but at the same time it can it moves so fast it can it can just fly away without you that if exactly what you're just describing like if you are if you do the same thing for five or ten years and then suddenly you lose that job and didn't realize that maybe the industry moved on without you you can be in a in a really tough spot so how is it i think that um Many new, newly minted software engineers uh, just starting their career, I think there can oftentimes be a feeling of like, ah, I've made it. Here I am with a in a secure growth industry. I'm I'm good, <laughs> right? Good for a few decades. Yep. Um, how can you how can you sort of recognize when maybe you're not, um, you know, you're not cultivating the things you need to be cultivating yeah. to keep a resilient career? I have a couple couple ways that I think about this. One is keep learning even on the job, even if your employer doesn't want you to, I don't care, just do it anyway. Um, do it in your free time as well, though, because like there is a lot to learn. And if you really want to get good at this, uh, whether, whether it's software development, product development, or some mix of skills, like you are going to have to spend some time outside of work as well doing it. Um, and that's tough. I realize it, but that's just kind of the reality. The other thing is don't lean only on code and don't get yourself into this situation where all, all you are is a programmer and you sort of bill yourself as I just write the best code possible. Uh, that's a really bad way to get yourself replaced by somebody who writes really good code. That's half your price. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, like, again, like you got to think what the company's motivations are. The company is trying to drive a profit. So that means lowering costs and it means raising revenue. Now, you know, 10% better code doesn't raise revenue by a hundred percent. In very few cases does that happen. I mean, <laughs> every now and then it does. Um, but, but you've got to be a little bit realistic and uh, maybe pragmatic about your approach to programming. Like programming is the tool to get the job done, but it's not, shouldn't be the only tool, you know, it feels like this advice will not work for everyone uh, in that there's a lot of jobs where you can't learn on the job. Like if, if my job is to like work on the assembly line, 
like I can't, 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 can't get that. And I wonder about someone who, 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 who's listening to this advice and says, it sounds great, but like, I can't, like, I am in this place where I don't feel like I have the, the, like, just leave that job kind of thing. I think the reality is like everybody today is a freelancer, whether they know it or not. And the more you embrace that freelancer mentality and try to make yourself unique, the more likely you are to stay resilient throughout your career. Um, so I get that it's going to be like, this is a mindset mindset shift. I think a lot of that is is sort of the, the fear that they need the job more than the job needs them. And I think it's it's really dangerous to get to stay in that for very long. I mean, at some point, you're going to have to figure out how to break out of that, um, whether that means like making yourself more and more valuable through skills or skill stacking or some combination of your network and skills, um, or it means like just getting out into a different career where people actually respect you more. But um, yeah, <laughs> there's got to be some way to make yourself like actually valuable in the the organization. I guess so. So to me, that feels like a meritocracy argument without saying the word meritocracy. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> and so I, I wonder, like, as my understanding is, is that notion takes on a lot of of, of criticism uh, on the notion that it would suggest that this type of hard work would be rewarded equally, regardless of who undertakes it. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's let's just throw this a whole another way because you brought this up and I actually, I think this is the uh, the best counter to what I'm saying is that I am a like privileged white dude in an industry run by privileged white dudes. So take this like whole caveat into to the, the argument. It's like, maybe it's easier for me to go out and network and meet people and get build trust quickly because I look like the people who are supposed to be doing this. And I think that's a huge problem in our, in tech today, but it just also in like the job search and everything else, as soon as people see you, they judge you based on whatever their presuppositions are, but also like there's whole societal like structures in place to keep people where they're quote unquote supposed to be. So, yeah, I mean, I'm, I don't know what the, <laughs> that's, this is like a whole nother, whole nother conversation, but I, I enjoy it and I'm happy to get into that too. I, I was actually getting the, the opposite argument, honestly, from you, Carl, like it, what you are describing, or at least as I was interpreting it was the opposite of, of America, like you, of a meritocracy. Like you're not saying that, correct me if I'm wrong. Mm -hmm. What I took from that is not that if someone does the hard work, they will be rewarded so much as uh, you, you as an employee need to be aware of what drives value yeah. to the person who is paying for you to be an employee and to the more you can understand how to be a holistic piece of that puzzle that drives the most value that brings the right. most value, um, the, the more resilient your career will be. I mean, and also, I want to make sure that I do not discount what you said which is like yes as three white dudes sitting here talking about right stop getting getting jobs like yes this industry is is absolutely screwed that way uh, and yeah yeah, yeah. M major change needs to be undertaken yeah and it, it's honestly like I, I this is kind of another tangent here but like i feel that it is our, partly our obligation to help make that change because we've got these positions of power that 
that, you know, even if we're not in charge of things, really, like we still have this like just innate power by who we are at the moment in time. So anyway, yeah. So meritocracy, maybe we, we could kind of like back up and just kind of define what that means. Like if to me, like uh, if the employer says like you will get ahead if you follow these rules and do these checklists every day as the, as the employee, you, I feel like you have to call into question whether that's really best for you or if that's just best for the employer. And I don't believe that if you just do what's best for the employer, you will continue to be rewarded. So if, if meritocracy is like saying that you ace the test, therefore you get the best placement in the, in the job pool, uh, that's not true. That's not how life works. There's like all sorts of weird backdoors and things that happen that, that get people ahead. And my encouragement to people is to take advantage of the weird, unique, and different things about them rather than the rules that people tell you to follow in order to go from step A to step B. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, there is a, there, I think there is a part of all this that I really do appreciate and is like a really hard needle to thread for me, at least. And it's this notion of the value of having like intentional meanderingness in your life path. Uh, there's, it feels like there's a bit of a paradox there between like you need to be finding those things that are not pre-written and prescribed to you, uh, but also needing to like do that intentionally mm -hmm. so you don't just sort of like walk in an endless <laughs> circle well, forever. I have a good analogy for this because I've thought about this too, like, and it does feel like sometimes people are just drifting. But the way I think about it is like a tuning fork. When you first whack that tuning fork, it just goes crazy. It's going all over the place. It's going back and forth, really, really huge reverberations, right? And it slowly starts to narrow in on a space where it e reaches like an equilibrium and then stops completely. Like I think of your sort of meandering career path as like that. Yeah, at the beginning, start off, go wild, go go to both extreme, go try really weird things and try to narrow in the sort of limits of what you like to do and what you don't like to do and where your skill sets lie and what gets you energy. So if you realize you're quickly like, you know, I'm not an extrovert. I'm not going to enjoy a job that requires being on the phone for eight hours a day. Then really quickly, you need to oscillate away from that and really far away from that. Now you may go too far. You may overshoot it and realize, man, I don't want to be in a dark cave alone all day either. So start to like, think like what's, what's next. So while it does, it can look unintentional, maybe you're trying to maximize for like happiness in your day-to-day -day life, or you're trying to maximize for location independence, or you're trying to maximize for time spent at home. Um, there's so many things that people can like try to maximize for, and it can look weird to the outside. What are you maximizing for? <laughs> what do you get? What are you guys maximizing for? I have, I have lots of soap boxes, but I'll let you, <laughs> you tell me. Um, for me right now, I am maximizing for, uh, flexibility with my young family. I have a five-year-old and a two-year-old. I think I I could be accused of uh, living on the drift side of the meanderingness. Uh, I think I, if I do maximize for something, it's not like I don't have it written down and don't think too much about it. Right. And I think that what you go for or what you're maximizing for can change over time. When I was 25, I was maximizing for um, like wanting to be part of a high growth startup so I could collect some equity and, you know, be a, sitting on a beach or something like that. But like, as I got older and a little less naive, I think I, I realized that's not really like my goal is not the Did money. that not pan out? Yeah. A, a that didn't pan out. <laughs> no surprise there. And B the the goal is not the money. The money wouldn't make me 
happy. It's what the the lifestyle that that possibly opens up for you. And so that got me starting sort of like going back to first principles here. It's like, well, if I want to live a lifestyle that lets me enjoy time with my family, be location and like, you know, time, very flexible on, on location and time and do the things I like to do, but still also enjoy my 40 hours or more, whatever I'm doing at the time at work, what do I do to get those things? And it's like, the money's not going to buy that for you magically. Like money might buy you time or like buy you the flexibility, but like at the end of the day, you've got to do something with your time. Like, I mean, if you get a ton of money and you just sit and like, I don't know, drink all day, you're not really going to be happy. You're, you're going to be unfulfilled. It's like we, like, I think humans kind of need to create. And I think this is what drives a lot of people to engineering because it's such a creative field that allows people to actually build things and see them happen on the screen. It's an amazing experience. I would be doing that regardless of whether I was paid or not, or had the, you know, what, what, what the economic um, outcome was. So I've been trying to figure out how to maximize for that, like this this free time to build, tinker, and play with things. Um, and right now, that looks like building and tinkering and playing with a business um, that also pays me enough to to survive. Yeah, all all those things you just said. <laughs> There's a, I I know that like this is a, a lot of unconventional advice. And I was, I was listening to one of you, y'all's per, uh, previous episodes with a career coach, and actually, I thought that was super interesting because, um, you know her experience is, is going to be much more mainstream and acceptable. Um, but I guess I'm just going to like be here to advocate for the people who want to take weird career paths. Like the people who were artists that now are programmers, like you can be a creative person who does programming. Like there are ways to combine skills like that. Uh, whether that's graphic, some kind of like motion graphics thing, it's some kind of programming graphics, or it's something a little weirder, like you know, programming art installations at, at live events or whatever. Um, so I, I just want to encourage people to like kind of embrace that creative side and pursue it and try to build it in with their programming career if they can. But again, that that probably won't be your first job in the industry. What you described earlier about bootcamp grads saying, well, I'll just take whatever job someone will give me. Yeah. Like that, I actually... I, I don't think that's the right mindset to have, but I think that's allowable for the first job. Like <laughs> you, you first job, pass. yeah. <laughs> well, no, but yeah, but yeah. like honestly, because yeah. it's sort of it's sort of the extension of the idea that um, you know, your first I don't know dozen job interviews are practice for the mm -hmm. job that you actually want to get, right? Yeah. So go and get a bunch of interviews for companies that you could care less about so that you're good at interviewing by the time the job that comes around right offers you an interview i feel the same way sort of about like i don't think you should just settle for the first job that you get but i also think there's nothing wrong with if you get a job offer and you're like yeah it's good enough there's nothing wrong with taking that as your first job knowing that well i'll 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 see what this is about i'll learn some stuff and and as long as you are as long as you recognize that you are still on the trajectory of growth. You are still able to command your path. Like right. now you've got that foothold. Now you are, you are going like you are growing professionally now. Yep. And so if you can command that growth and the direction of that growth, I think it's perfectly fine for that first job to be like, Oh, I just, I just need to understand how web development works. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I, I no, I, I do agree. I, you know, I'm getting probably ahead of myself by, by jumping into like doing 
all the wild things. But um, I'll, I'll kind of like, I'll kind of also play devil's advocate for myself here. Uh, like, I do think that it's interesting how much time to it. What's interesting to me is how much time new bootcamp grads spend practicing for something that they dread, don't ever want to do. And by sort of doing, they prove that to the company that they are really good at following instructions. And that's job interviews, whiteboarding, all that bullshit. Like to me, the more you are investing time getting good at that, the less you are like sort of blazing your own path. And so I'll just give you the alternative way to do this. Instead of spending your first 120 hours or whatever you do prepping for job interviews and whiteboarding things and all that, what if you got really good at building some kind of unique, weird project? You just went down this project's rabbit hole and just just did it, and it was really cool and weird and unique and interesting. And then you found a company that needed something like that, and you sold yourself as a consultant who does that one really specific thing. Or you said, I'm just going to you know, freelance for you. I'll do this for really cheap because I want to build my expertise. Like That's the way I got my first job out of college. Like It wasn't... I built a campus blog, some other company that had a campus blog wanted to like have someone to manage it and they hired me to do it and then also write all the programming for it. It's like, there are weird jobs out there. There's no, I had no job interview. They just hired me as a freelancer. And when they trusted me enough, they pulled me in full time. So I I guess like the world is a lot bigger than people realize. And there are a lot of weird paths that don't get advertised to bootcamp grads. So I'll just like, again, I know this is not typical. I know this is like results, not typical, big asterisks, like past performance does not indicate future results, whatever. But like, don't be afraid to go outside of the box that people tell you to stay in. I agree with that sentiment. 100%. Don't be afraid. (laughs) Whether it's realistic or not. Okay. (laughs) But I think that it is for 90, 90 plus percent of new bootcamp grads. It is not a realistic or even responsible <laughs> bit of advice to say just That's fair. Just go just go figure it out and sell yourself as a freelancer. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, I yeah. I would always, always, always tell students not to market themselves as a freelancer because there is you you think like there's there's just so much you don't know. Yeah. There's yeah, so yeah. much you don't know. And as a freelancer, you have to know so many things and you're going to find yourself in, in so many odd places. Um, yeah, I think I, I'm, I think that I agree with your, uh, with your advice, but time shifted one to two jobs down the career path. Mm -hmm. That's fair. That's fair. I think, so here's the way I would maybe think about it. It's like, it depends on maybe your confidence level at that moment. And so, you know, I'll admit that if you're just graduating from a boot camp, like I was just graduating from college without even a degree in programming and trying to sell myself as a freelance developer slash blog manager, like I obviously had a lot of misplaced confidence. Like I was not good at that job and I probably shouldn't have gotten it. Um, Now (laughs) it's sort of like if you come out of a boot camp and you feel like you really do get something, you really are good at something. Uh, and you have enough confidence, you might be able to do it. Now, whether you're good at it, whether you fail or whatever, you're going to learn a lot by like failing up uh, rather than just sort of like accepting that this is impossible for me. So I don't know. I'm just, I, I guess I, uh, again, like this advice is only going to appeal to like a 5% of people or less, but um, I, I like to throw it out there because the unconventional paths don't get talked about. Um, and yeah, the other thing too is like, 
uh, I think this is kind of related, but a lot of people coming out of bootcamp, like sort of have in their mind, that they must be a software developer. And I don't think that that's necessarily true either. Um, I mean, there's a lot of career paths that are tangential to software software development that are great career paths that might actually be a better fit, whether that's something like developer marketing or developer relations. It's something like um, being a project manager or it's something like yeah, DevOps and sysadmin stuff. Like there's all these paths out there that people don't realize. And, and so they just sort of like throw themselves out there as I'm just a software engineer who just graduated from a boot camp, rather than trying to get into one of these like weird fields that just doesn't have the competition that the entry-level software engineering field does. Yeah, I mean, can you talk a little more about that? Some of the, like, some of the positions that that wear a, either like a modicum of engineering knowledge without a ton of experience, or just some knowledge without a ton of passion behind it, where you actually really want to be doing something else. Like, where where might you be set up well to to go looking for other career paths? Yeah, I mean, so there's a few different angles you could go here. Um, thinking about it more broadly, the problems that that programmers solve are often just like optimization problems. We're, we're basically trying to get money in faster, more efficiently, or trying to you know move things around faster, data around faster. <clears throat> and what's interesting is a lot of that stuff can be done by software and doesn't have to be written in custom code. So you think about a path like what if you got really good at writing, you know, Zapier automations? And a lot of software developers are going to go, "Ugh, that's so beneath me." You know, this isn't real coding. This isn't programming. It's not, you know, not good enough. But if you solve business problems by writing Zapier automations, and Zapier is a tool that you can just like, is a GUI kind of based tool for automating lots of different things. Um, I mean, there's whole there's people who do that. There's companies that hire people that do that. There's in enterprise, there's enterprise versions of Zapier that do it at you know a bigger scale. You don't have to even be a programmer; you just have to be pretty logical in the way you think, and you have to be willing to go learn the tool. Um, so that's another option too. It's just like go out and learn one tool that no one from your boot camp knows, and you immediately stand out because you're the only entry level person in the city or from that boot camp or whatever that actually knows that tool. Um, so that that's maybe just one way to think about it. Um, there's also kind of combining like your, say your previous career path, whether it's something like in customer support or service or um, some kind of like, maybe you had some kind of sales or, or people facing job. Like, could you combine that with engineering and be like a sales engineer or um, something like that? I mean, that's a huge path and you can actually make more money doing that as you, than you can as a software developer in a lot of companies. So I don't know. I what's, mean, what's a sales engineer? Yeah. So a sales engineer is usually somebody who they, they work at some point in the sales funnel. Sometimes they're talking to customers before the sale. Sometimes it's after the sale and they're basically helping implement uh, the company's technical product. So they usually have to have some level of technical knowledge, like just to debug things, maybe, you know, write some JSON files or something, but they don't have to be in there writing custom code and building the actual core product every day. I feel like I derailed you with that question. No, no. That, that, were, were I was just, somewhere else? No, no, that was it. I was just giving a couple examples like to kind of, uh -huh. again, like my point is just broaden your horizons and like mm -hmm. think, think about the like unique paths you can take um, and the different combinations of skills or like things that you can do to not just be one of the 500 bootcamp grads who graduated, you know, this quarter in your city. Um, and if there's something right. you can do to do that, it's going to set you apart. Now, whether you go the, the path of being a full on freelancer or you just use it to like be a different kind of job applicant than anybody else has seen, both are really good.
when you were when you were CTO at Grade Network, you did a lot of hiring. You did a lot of uh, interviewing of bootcamp grads. What what did you look for? Like you just said, like you know, learn learn a skill, learn a tool, learn something that would set you apart from the other five hundred grads in your city that just graduated that quarter. Like, what are some of the those things that that caught your eye? What are the things you looked at? Yeah. So for me personally, in the role at like the Grade Network and uh, my role previous at Packback was similar. Um, we were kind of looking for four things. Um, the passion about what the problem is we have and that we're solving, because I found um, after hiring people that didn't care that much about education versus people who did, the people who cared about education just did much better in the job and cared much more. And it was much more, they were better fit for working with us. So you got to care about the problem we're solving, which is education. A lot of people care about that. You have to take initiative. And that means doing the things like research ahead of time. Uh, it means actually having some questions in the job interview. There's a lot of simple things like that, that people do that show they've sort of thought about this. Um, throughout the whole process, they have to show reliability. And that's like actually showing up um, <laughs> at the right time and places and, you know, answering phone calls, all that stuff. That's just, it, again, it should be table stakes, but you'd be surprised, like probably 25% of the people I interviewed didn't hit this. And it's just like, such an easy win. So it's too bad, but, yeah. um, I mean, that, oh it's God. just be, be on time people. Yeah. Be yeah. On time. Like, <laughs> and I, these are, these are pretty conventional, like interview, like criteria. So like, this is not, this isn't even that weird compared to the rest of yeah. what I've been talking about. Uh, and then the last one is like technical competency and that, that can take a lot of different forms. Um, usually I, I tend to like working with people who, are just curious and want to build knowledge rather than people who think they know everything. Um, especially in a situation like the grade network, we're, we're building a crud app. Like it's not rocket science. We're not trying to change, like we're not building some complex algorithms. Like the problems we're solving have all been solved by other software engineers before. We're just adopting those solutions um, in a novel way. So uh, to me, competency just means the ability to quickly learn and and show that and communicate that that learning with other people you hit on on one of one of the words that makes me nuts in uh passion linkedin yes yeah <laughs> and i and i i agree with you that it no, is no, something no. that we debated that, that someone word. has to have but yeah yeah i and yeah, we, we were man, actually i hate yeah we were on the fence like actually last right before we made our last hire we were like yeah this word kind of sucks i don't know that we want to call it passion well, anymore but yeah, I mean the the difference is like, yes, I want someone to be, maybe investment is a better, right. a better word, but like I want someone to be invested in the in solving the problem that we are solving. But so often I see, uh, you know, LinkedIn profiles or cover letters or or resumes that start with "I'm a passionate developer," <laughs> and I know right. these. I know these uh, technologies. It's like passionate about what? <laughs> yeah. No, that like, yeah. in other fields that might just be called professionalism. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. <laughs> why, why does programming feel this need to like you know, reinvent vo vocabulary that maybe all already exists? <laughs> yeah. To me, it was it was exactly what you said, Ben, which is like interest in the problem domain that we're solving mm -hmm. for it was not so much like i'm a passionate programmer that that that's not really i don't think that's a thing um well i think <laughs> i think in some ways it's, it's also a stand-in for um it's a it 
I think it works against you because to me it's code for, I don't know as much as I would like to know. And right. so I'm going to make up for that by saying that I learn at every opportunity. Right. And, and there's a, how, how do you look for that balance? Cause I always, I think that nine times out of 10, when you put on a resume or put on your profile or a cover letter or something that, that you are, um, how, how interested you are in learning that you're actually pointing out the fact that you don't know very much and it's nobody expects you to know everything. Yeah. yeah. Tell me about what you do know and problems you've solved. Right. And, and resumes are terrible. So this is resumes a, are terrible. I'll, I'll get, I'll just like, <laughs> I don't know if this is controversial or this is more accepted advice, but resumes suck so much and they are not a great way to, for the employer to assess candidates and they're not a great way for candidates to show what they know or can do. Um, so just big asterisks, like I never paid a lot of attention to resumes. Mostly I would just ask people to send me like uh, either like some things they've worked on or done, or um, maybe a link, like send me to your LinkedIn or if they had a, a website, that's great too. But so when, when I, I look at these criteria that I had on my, for hiring, I then look at a, do they say those things? So do you say you care about education in our case? Do you say you have initiative, which is great. That That's like you get half a point or something for that. But to get full credit, to get all the points, you have to also show that and in through yeah. the process at some point. And whether that means like maybe to show you care about education, um, it's clear from you used to work at a school and you, you know, work one-on-one with kids or you at least did tutoring or you did, you know, so it's like not just tell me you're passionate about education you care about it like everybody cares about it quote unquote but like did you volunteer somewhere and show that you did so showing is way yeah. more powerful than the, the telling first rule of screenwriting <laughs> script, script writing in general do, do you do much do you do much script writing I, well i, I don't but i i am a well i mean my previous career was in theater so i was a lighting designer as some people know. So you're you're, um, you're close to the scripts. Whether you're I was close to scripts, yeah. yes. A lot of I've worked on a lot of original works, and yeah, like that's that's something that writers say, like "Show me, don't tell me." What was your favorite? Oh boy. Um, or you don't have to pick a favorite. You can just say like, "What was one that you would stood out to you for some reason?" Uh, well, probably, probably the last Defender was a. It was actually an escape room, but it was made by by a theater company. Yeah, that was cool. That was that was mostly uh, it, it was all programming, but it was going to be a strictly theater project. And then I, my friend who was directing it and writing it, sent me like a like a two page treatment of it of like this is what it's going to be. I was like, oh buddy, you don't know what this could be. Um, it was an escape room set in a nineteen eighties Cold War missile bunker. <laughs> Um, and you're trying to stop a, a mad uh, AI. It's basically War Games meets Doctor yeah, Strange. Yeah, Love. yeah, That sounds awesome. Um, <laughs> it was awesome, and we were it it we had just put it back up before COVID hit, and we were just about to put up a companion piece oh. set in a distant future that was going to be even more epic. Yeah. And then COVID That's, scrapped it all. Oh. So who knows? Who yeah. knows? Um, yeah, I don't know. It's getting late. Yeah. All right. Well, let's call it, fellas. Hey, Carl, where can people find you if they want to hear more of what you have to say? You can find me at uh, carllhughes.com, and that's Carl with a K. Uh, you can learn more about the business I run, uh, draft at draft.dev. 
And uh, I'm on Twitter also at, at Carl L. Hughes, and I'm happy to connect there or uh, any of the other places and, and offer advice if I can to, to listeners. Thanks, Carl. You've, you've been quiet there, Colin. Do you have any, any parting words? I think, like, in principle, like, I also, like, I, I was definitely challenging in this interview, but I think there is high reward if you can find a way to make this work. Uh, I think I definitely, I also have, like, a bizarre bat background and have found ways to like find my next steps by incorporating parts of myself that are not in the job description. Uh, so like my thoughts would be like fight tooth and nail to make this kind of thing work for you. And if you're not, if, if you're in a position to make this work for somebody else, I'd say also do that. Oh yeah. Like, I like that. Be yeah, interesting, absolutely. but also like take whatever blinders you might have off to look for the interesting people. Yeah, that's a, that's a super good point. I'm glad Ben asked you for closing comments because I, I love that. <laughs> most of most of my sage life advice I get from Colin. So, 